good morning. It's a good morning to be here, right? Yeah. Um, it's good to celebrate together. And like Jeremy said, we're going to get to do a little bit more of that tonight at the worship night. So plan on coming out and joining us for that. Um, before I get to the message this morning, I do have something very serious that I want to talk about. It's not serious, but it's very serious. Um, it was brought to my attention last Sunday that someone missed almost half the message because they were staring up at the graphics trying to figure out what was happening. I didn't miss half the message. That was just saying. Just a quarter of the message. Okay, all right. I wasn't going to call you out. I'm just going to let people wonder, but it was JD. It was JD right there. Um, no, so... <laughs> And I could be offended by this. I really could, because I designed the graphics this time, and uh, it's, it says it's in over my head. That's a head. I don't know if you know that. There's hair flowing, like somebody's in the water over their head. See? See how it makes sense? You got that? Okay. Don't be distracted by it now this morning, okay? Now you can get the whole message. Um, good. I'm, I'm glad. All right, so that being said, we are in this series, uh, Over My Head or In Over My Head, where we're looking at scriptures, we're looking at situations in the Bible where uh, there are people, I mean, we call them characters, right, but they were real people, uh, who were in situations that were over their heads, right? So last week we talked about these seven guys from the book of Acts. Um, they were known as the seven sons of Sceva, and they found out real quick um, that uh, they were in a situation that was in over their heads when they were trying to use the name of Jesus. They, were, they said they were casting out a demon in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And they kind of missed the point that this whole spiritual authority thing comes with connection with Jesus that Paul preaches, right? Uh, and, and they found out real quick when the demon said, listen, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know who, are, who you are, right? Who are you? Um, they found out real quick they were in over their heads in that situation. So, um, so that was that. Well, today I want to look at another group of seven guys who were in over their heads. These guys did know Jesus. They were in close with Jesus because they walked and they talked and they lived with him and they learned from him uh, for about three years. This is seven of the, the disciples, the apostles. It just happens to be seven. I didn't know it when I was going into it. And I don't think next week is going to have any sevens involved. But... Um, before we get to the scripture, we're going to go to John chapter 21. I want to set the scene a little bit. For these guys, and, and ladies, because there were women there too, right? Um, in a very short amount of time, they have gone from waiting for the Messiah, waiting for God to show up in the form of the Messiah, to meeting the Messiah, being invited to follow and walk and learn from him, right? Walk with him and learn from him. Um, so their world was kind of kind of kind of flipped upside down there already, right? Then the Messiah, who they believe is going to change the world, is arrested and tortured and crucified, killed, right? The world is flipped upside down in a very short amount of time. So they've gone from walking and talking with Jesus to seeing him killed, and their hopes and their dreams for who this Messiah was kind of go out the door with that, right? But then, then, Jesus is seen alive again, right? He shows up to Mary. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and, and uh, he makes himself known to her. Peter and John run to the tomb when Mary brings this news. Peter and John run to the tomb and they're like, uh, let's see if this is true. The tomb is empty. They don't see Jesus yet. Um, but then over the course of a, who knows how long, I don't know, I, I imagine a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, Jesus shows up to these guys a couple of more times, right? In, in, generally, it's been in a locked room twice. The door is, they're in a, in a room, the door's locked and bloop, there's Jesus, right? That's the, that's the sound that Jesus makes when he, 
appears. Bloop. So he just pops up. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 1. And that's, that's the scene so far. He's shown up twice. Well, Mary Magdalene, and then two more times after that, okay? So verse 1, John 21. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So there's seven of them, okay? And they're together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, yep, us too, right? We're also coming with you. They went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. All right, pause for a second, okay? Before we're gonna keep going, I wanna let y'all know what's going on in my mind, okay, with this. This is not what's happening in here because, I mean, I guess it could have been, kind of, right? But I imagine this scene looking like a TV show from the 60s. Deep South, it's hot, right? Everybody's sweating, okay? They're outside on the front porch and they're just sitting around. They're waiting, right? What's gonna happen next, okay? They're sitting, so there's a couple of guys leaning up against the, uh, the house. There's a couple of guys sitting on a porch swing. Peter, I imagine Peter sitting down on the porch, right? And he's got his, his feet swinging, kind of just sitting there. If it helps, think little rascals, all right? They're just hanging out. Just hanging out, okay? Use your imagination a little bit. And so Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two other guys um, are sitting there. Maybe Peter is whittling. He's got his knife out. He's kind of whittling, passing time, got nothing else to do. Nobody's saying anything except it's hot. Yep. Peter keeps whittling. And then he goes, that's it, I'm going fishing, right? That's what I see, I'm going fishing. Everybody else goes, yeah, us too, let's go, right? That's it, I'm going fishing. Can you see that scene, right? Listen, I have no idea what they're doing. I know they're not sitting on a front porch whittling and, and, and well, maybe they were, I don't know. We have no idea what they were doing. They could have been in, in the kitchen cooking with grandma for all we know, okay? and they aren't little boys, and they're not in the United States, and it's not the 60s, but I imagine they're just in this group, and they're sitting around, okay? They're sitting together. It says there were seven of them together. That's all we really know. But the fact that Peter says, I'm going fishing, and everybody else goes, yep, us too, it tells me they don't have anything going on, okay? They're bored. That's what's happening. They're bored. They're sitting around waiting, and so Peter says, come on, boys, let's go fishing. We got, what, what else are we gonna do? Let's go. So the disciples are like, all right, let's go. Yeah, let's go. So they went out fishing, and that night, of course, they caught nothing, absolutely nothing. And I look at that, and I go, well, of course they caught nothing. That's not what they wanted to be doing anyway, right? They didn't wanna be fishing. They wanted to be with Jesus. They were waiting on him to show up. So of course they caught nothing. If your heart's not in it, then you're just gonna, when I go fishing and my heart's not in it and I'm just trying to pass time, I'm, I'm at this place and then I'm at that place and I'm at that place and I'm trying this lure and I'm trying that lure and it's like, I don't, I don't really, the point is not to catch fish and I'm impatient and so of course they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Again, this is up here, it's not in here, right? But this is the way I process this stuff, all right? Use your imagination a little bit. Set the scene. 
So they're going fishing, but they're not really caring, and they catch nothing. Pick it up in verse 4. In verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? And they answered him, no. That's, that's the sound I hear, no. Right? You can hear the mood that they're in. This is not a happy mood. Uh, if you ask somebody, if you stroll up on somebody and they're on the bank fishing and you say, hey, uh, you know, have you caught anything? most times there's going to be some kind of banter back and forth. Ah, no, nah, we were up on the point, we went up to the point, and there was nothing up there. Then we went out in deeper water, and then we came back to the shallows, but nah, nothing happening today. That, right? Or you get a big fishtail. Here's the one that got away. We had one, but nope, not this time. We got away. Or they hold up the big stringer. Here's the fish. But there's none of that. Just a nope. Being catching. Nope. Now, if I'm in that situation, um, you just kind of keep moving, right? You know, you know, this guy's not in a good mood. These people are not in a good mood. We're just going to keep going. We're not going to push it. But Jesus says, well, you know what the problem is. You're fishing on the left side of the boat. Try the other side. Throw the net on the other side of the boat, guys. That'll do it, right? Here's, here's the situation. Jesus is messing with them, Right? He's messing with them. He's like, watch this. Watch this, spirit. Watch this, dad. Try the other side of the boat, guys. Right? Because listen, you can see Peter in this situation going, this is the, this is the perfect situation for a sarcastic response from Peter. Oh, yeah, we, we were, guys, we fished all night on the left side of the boat. You know what? We didn't even think about the right side of the boat. If we would have just turned the other way, all the fish were over there, right? We should have just, okay, all right, let's go, let's go. And the other guys are like, listen, Peter, just satisfy the guy. Who knows, maybe we'll catch, maybe he sees something, maybe there's some bubbles, maybe he sees something we don't, or maybe he'll see us haul an empty net and he'll walk away, right? Just satisfy the guy. Again, none of this is happening in the scripture. It's all happening up here, but you can see the process of what the, what the disciple, like this whole situation, right? Um, I guarantee you they're not in a good mood because they went fishing and they didn't catch anything all night. It's, it, it's not fun to fish for two hours and catch nothing. So they were fishing all night. Anyway, they said, you know what? Fine, let's do it. So we throw the net over on the other side of the boat, pick it back up in verse uh, nine, I believe it is. Excuse me, continuing in verse six. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. So they cast it. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples, being more sensible, came in the little boat, for they were not far off from land, about 200 cubits, that's about 100 yards away, and they were dragging the net full of fish. All right, so let's pause right here. We've already done some elaboration, right? We've already looked at a lot of the details in here, but this, this scripture is so full. It is so full of little things that make it a good story, right? There's the boredom. We're not catching anything. We're waiting. Uh, there, yeah, there's a whole not catching the fish, and then all of a sudden catching a huge haul of fish. 
um, so much so that they can't even pull it into the boat. I look at Jesus in this story, and again, I think he's messing with them, right? He's like poking them. He's, he's being their buddy. He's being their friend. Like, he's like, come on, guys. Like, he's, he, they don't know it yet, but I, I can see it, right? Boys, you caught any fish yet? Ah, why don't you try the other side? I can see it on Jesus' face. I think Jesus is laughing. I think he's enjoying this, right? I, I absolutely believe he is. Because in the past, he just shows up in the boat, or shows up in the room. Why didn't he just bloop, pop up in the boat? He could have done that, right? Why not? Why, does he, why doesn't he just yell from the side, hey, guys, it's me. Come on in. Let's have a chat. Let's talk a little bit. He's, he's having fun with them. If, if nothing else, why not walk out on the water, right? They would have got it then. Who else could it be? It's Jesus, right? He's walking out to us. He's having fun, right? He wants to see their reaction the way that you would throw a surprise party for somebody. Why do you do that? You want to see their reaction, right? Because you love them. You, you're, you're friends with them. You want to see what's going on. Jesus is having fun with them. And you know this isn't the first time that these guys have had a quick turnaround in, some, in, in their fishing um, fortune, right? The last time was recorded when Jesus is first introducing them in, uh, to himself and, and, and he's doing some preaching and uh, he gets into Peter's boat and he's preaching from Peter's boat and after he's done preaching, he says, hey, Peter, let's, go, let's push out a little further into the deep water. And Peter's like, listen, I mean, I know you're a good preacher and all, but I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing all night long and we caught nothing. Jesus says, let's go a little further. And Peter says, all right, since you say so, Lord, if you say so, I'll drive. And so he throws his net. And that time, it's so many fish that it does tear the nets, okay? The nets were breaking. So this is not the first time that they've seen a turnaround in this kind of a, a fortune for them, right? And I think that's what catches John's eye, the one that Jesus loved. Of course, of course he calls himself that, right? Um, but John is writing this and he's the one that says, dude, it's him. And Peter goes, ah, it's him. He's freaking out. He puts his clothes on to go see Jesus, to jump into the water and go see Jesus. Did you catch that? It says he was stripped for work. That means he's out there. He doesn't have his outer garment on. And when he sees Jesus or when he finds out it's Jesus, he's like, oh, I don't know what to do, right? Or maybe he just doesn't want Jesus to see him in his tidy whities I don't know. <laughs> he puts his clothes on. He dives into the water and he gets to Jesus, Okay. All kinds of details with this thing. All kinds of details. So it makes a good story, okay? But listen, this is not just a, a good entertaining story, is it? Right? This is a scripture. This is, this is the inspired word of God, and God wants us to get something from it, okay? So what are we learning as I was studying this week, I, I, I asked the Lord, or I actually, I literally wrote down, I said, great story, dot, 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 what's the point, right? As I was studying, I was like, what am I, God, what, are you, what is this, what is this? And very quickly, very quickly, my mind was drawn, Lord told, spoke to me, I don't know how you want to say it, like, my, I was drawn to, the, uh, to this one word, revealed, okay, to the word revealed, in verse 1, chapter 21, it says this. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to them. And he revealed himself in this way. Okay, Some scriptures or some versions might say he manifested himself or, or he made himself known. It's all the same idea. 
That's a very important idea, a very important word. He revealed himself in this way. Because if you reveal something, you're showing what's there, right? If I grab a towel and I cover my Bible and I reveal my Bible, you know what's under it, right? Look at it. Is the Bible there? Yeah. But uncovering it, reveals what's already there. So this word reveal caught my eye. God said, hey, pay attention to this word. Um, And it's really important because the scripture says Jesus revealed himself to disciples. So in my mind, I'm going, wait a minute, Jesus is there. Jesus is already there. He just revealed himself in this way. Okay? So he was there the whole time. He just wasn't They weren't seeing him in the way that they were expecting to see him. They're sitting around. These guys are sitting around, bored and waiting for the Lord to show up. But he's already there, right? They're just not seeing and experiencing him in the way that they're expecting to. Think about it. These guys, for three years plus, have been walking around with Jesus seeing him do incredible things, themselves doing incredible things because they're with Jesus. But they're three for three years, day in and day out, they're with Jesus, okay? They're in the presence of God, and that means physically being with Jesus. He's the one with the plan, okay, in this situation. He's the one saying, hey, let's go over here. Hey, let's go over, do that. He's got the agenda. He's doing the preaching and the teaching, and they're the ones doing the supporting of him, right? They're along for the ride. But now the leader's gone. Now Jesus is gone. So they're going, well, what do I do next? What's next? Well, I don't know. He showed up a couple of times before when we were together. Let's get together and wait, right? That's what's happening. Let's get together and wait and see if he shows up. I guess we'll wait for Jesus again. Three years of their lives have been spent with Jesus, following him and doing what he said to do, making sure things are taken taken care of for his ministry, all of that. But now he's not there, at least in the way that they're expecting him to be there. So can you really blame them, right? They're in over their heads, right? This is the situation. They're in over their heads. We've never been here before. The Messiah this is, a, this is a totally new experience. Nobody has ever experienced this before. Messiah is coming and the Messiah is gone. Now what? Right? They're in over their heads. So they're waiting for Jesus to be there, hoping that Jesus is gonna be there again. They go fishing to pass the time until he shows up again. But here's the reality. Jesus was there the whole time. Jesus was there all along. The problem for them is that they don't see it because they don't, know it. They don't know how, how this is going to work. They don't expect it. History has told them, when I see Jesus, Jesus is here. When I don't see Jesus, Jesus is not here. That's been their, their past experience, right? If I can't see him, he's not here. So let's wait. See, what these guys are going through is a transition. The disciples are going through a place of transition in their understanding and in their expectation of what it means to walk with God, of what it means to be present with him. They've spent three years with the physical presence of God with them. 
God walking and talking with them, God living and laughing with them, God teaching them, working with them in the form of Jesus. Three years, this has been their experience, and now the situation has changed. But they're still expecting it to be the same, okay? And they are living their everyday practical life like it hasn't changed. They're living their everyday practical life like it is still the same. They're waiting for him, right? Hoping that he shows up. That's how it's worked for him in the past. Why wouldn't it be the same now? And now they're having to make a transition. They're having to make an adjustment to what it means to be in the presence of Jesus after the resurrection, okay? Because that's what's changed. As I look at our experience as born-again believers, there is a transition that has to happen in our understanding of what it means to be with God. It's a transition for what we expect God to look like and what we expect it to look like when we relate to God. There is a transition. Think about it with, with non-Christians, right? Non-believers. If they do believe there is a God, well, it's, just, it's a higher power, right? He's a higher power, whether it's the universe or however you want to call it, right? However you want to say that. Um, he's far off, right? He's not something personal that really wants to be involved in my life or have anything to do with me. It's just a, a force to balance the world, okay? Punish evil, reward good, or however you want to say it, right? It's just kind of that, that kind of a thing. It's just a force for balancing the world. Or maybe there is a God, and maybe he, he does uh, um, um, want to be involved in my life, um, but it's when I do something good for him, okay? Or maybe he's not involved in my life, but I'd really like for him to be sometimes. You know that time when, when, when my spouse gets sick and I need him, okay? And so I'd really like for him to be involved, but in order for that to happen, I have to do some things in order to be worthy of his presence and worthy of his involvement. Um, and the conditions have to be right for that don't they, right? In order for God to show up, the conditions have to be right. So we have the right music, um, or we have the right lighting, or we have the right words, and we have the right rituals, the right traditions, all of these things, and the right behaviors, okay? So whatever it is, this, this, this God thing is far off, and in order for him to be involved, he needs to be convinced. Or maybe experience has taught us that, well, God is God, and God's gonna do whatever he wants, so we'll just sit here and wait hoping that he, when he does show up, it's not because I've made him mad somehow. But see, then we become Christians, okay? Then we become believers. We're born again. We're convinced that God does love us. He sent Jesus for us. He's personal now because he wants to be involved in our lives. He cares about us individually, right? But the transition in our understanding or our expectation of how God is gonna be involved in our lives has to happen. There has to be a transition. And many times there's not a transition. We carry over much of what we understood about God before we became a Christian and it affects our experience of what it means to have a relationship with him now after we are born again and we're his sons and daughters. 
And so somewhere in there, we still, in a lot of situations, we still relate to God. We still think we have to have the right conditions in order to relate to God or to be with God or to have God involved. So with churches, we have the right lighting, right? And we have the right ritual and we have the right music and we have the right length of service or whatever in order to convince God to show up. That's corporately. Individually, when we have a situation in our lives when we need God to intervene, we set out to find people who know how to pray because they're gonna pray the right way in order for God to intervene, don't we? They pray the right prayers, they're gonna say the right words, they're gonna do the right motions so that God is convinced to intervene. And you can forget about him interacting and intervening if you don't got stuff figured out, if you don't got your life right, right? If you don't believe enough. Am I wrong? This is what we do. We believe God loves us and has saved us, but we act like he relates to us the way we understood him before we were his sons and daughters, his beloved sons and daughters. The transition that I believe needs to happen for most believers is not a salvation issue, okay? It's a relationship issue. We're saved, we're believers, we're born again, but we don't know what it means to call God Papa. Abba, Daddy. We haven't yet made that transition in our lives. Romans 8, 15, it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Daddy. Abba, Papa. There is a transition in our understanding and in our mindset that needs to take place. God is not far off anymore, okay? He's not far off anymore. He's right here. Always. The disciples hadn't grasped that yet. They're sitting around bored waiting for Jesus to show up. What they don't yet understand about the resurrection is that means that you don't have to see Jesus in order for Jesus to be there. That's changed. That's why Jesus shows up in locked rooms. Okay? He's already there. It's not that he wasn't there before. It's just now, bloop. They can see him. But that's what the disciples are learning. Listen to me. This transition that was happening for them was that Jesus is already there. He's always there. He was there the whole time. The whole time that they sat around bored waiting for him to show up. He's there, right? The whole night that they were fishing and catching nothing, he's there. As they're cleaning their nets, bringing him back on board, ready to go in, and he shows up. Oh, he's there. He was there before they saw him. He's there. He just hadn't revealed himself in a way that they had previously understood or expected him to reveal himself. So often we want to experience God in big ways, don't we? Big ways. For many people, there's some kind of a dramatic salvation story that happens, right? We're moved, whether it's a tent revival or it's just a Sunday morning service or maybe it's, for me, it was by myself in my bathroom floor, right? 17 years old, 
but it was dramatic, okay? There, was a, there is an experience that happens, incredible change that happens. It was an emotionally high experience, and then we wake up the next day or we wake up the next week or whatever it is, and we don't feel that way anymore. Well, I guess I'll just sit around and wait until I do. Wait till God shows up that way again. Saw it so many times in camp ministry, right? Oh man, you should have seen the way God was moving on camp, at the campfire last night. Like he was incredible. And, and I, just want, I just want to be close to him like that all the time, all the time, all the time. And then we sit around and wait an entire year until next summer when we get one week where we can experience God in, in the same way. So many times I saw it. And there's nothing wrong with those times, right? Nothing wrong with those times. There's nothing wrong with having a great move of the Spirit and experiencing God in these really powerful ways. I love it, okay? I love it. But there is something wrong with thinking that that is the only time he's there with you. Or that's the only time that you're with him. Many people live like this on uh, Sunday to Sunday with a worship experience, right? Sunday to Sunday morning. Oh, wasn't Sunday great? Oh, I can't wait, to, wait, can't wait to be in the presence of God again next week. So you're not with them the rest of the week? We live our overarching lives like this too, if you want to look at it that way. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for Jesus' return. Or we're waiting to go to heaven, right? I got saved, now I can't wait for him to get back. Oh, Jesus, come back, right? I can't, or if I, if I die before that, I can't wait to go home, right? Maybe I'll get a few glimpses of him along the way, but I just can't wait to be with him again. That's still living in an understanding that God is far off, that he's up there. He's in heaven waiting for us. Or that he's only around when you set the right mood or you do the right things in order to convince him to show up in this place. Or we just wait long enough for him to show up when he feels like it. There is a transition to be made to understand John 14. To understand that in John 14, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is a reality right now, right? When he's speaking to them, He's saying that this reality is gonna come about after his death and his resurrection. Guess what, people? It's after his death and his resurrection. So it's a reality right now. Verse 14, John, John 14, verse 18. I know we were there a whole bunch last week. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. After a little while, the world will no longer is going to see me. This is his death and resurrection, right? But you're gonna see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Listen, this is the new covenant. This is it right here. Death and resurrection. This is the new covenant. I'm in you. You're in me. We're one. This is it. How far away is I am in you, and you are in me? How far is that? (laughs) We can't even define it, right? You can't get any closer than that. And that is the way it is, always. Behold, I'm with you forever, for always, till the ends of the earth, right? I'm with you. So sitting around and waiting on Jesus to show back up doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. 
living a life hoping to be with God in heaven doesn't make sense. He's here now. That's the reality. Sure, looking, I look forward to those things, right? Those, I, can't even, I, don't, I bet we can't even imagine, or I know I can't even imagine what it's gonna be like when we get to heaven or when, when he returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. But I'm talking about right now. Right now. In the book of Acts, Paul is speaking to a, a group of philosophers in Athens. And he's talking to them about, they have an altar to a, an unknown God. Right? They have so many gods that just in case we'll make an altar to one that we don't know. Okay? Paul's like, I know that God. This is my God. Right? And so he's explaining to him and he says this, The God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. That's over there. He doesn't dwell in those temples over there. Okay? This temple right here. Uh, where am I? Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind to live on, the, the, on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for him and they find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. In him we live and we move and exist. He dwells in us, right? He doesn't dwell in temples over there anymore. He dwells in us. Later on, Paul would say that our bodies are a temple, right? For the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. When does he dwell in us? When do we live in him? Now. Now. In him we move, when? Now. In him we exist, now. This is a right now experience. I don't think there's a Christian in the world who would argue with these ideas. It's right there in scripture. Can't argue with it, right? And yet, we live our lives in a way that hasn't made that transition yet. Let's finish the rest of the scripture. From John chapter 21, they fished all night, no fish, right? Jesus says, try the other side of the boat. They realize it's Jesus. Peter jumps in, head first. Verse nine. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already made and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. So Simon Peter went up and he hauled the net to the land full of fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples ventured to inquire of him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Often we don't expect the presence of God or we don't see the presence of God unless he's making some sort of a big move, right? The miraculous. Or even as simple as a good Sunday service, right? Good worship service. Man, God showed up. That was awesome. Without that, we don't feel like 
we see God. We don't feel like we know God or we don't feel close to him. But look at this. I love this. Look at this. Jesus shows up after the miraculous catch of fish and what does he want? Come have some breakfast. Come eat with me. What is more of a daily, routine, mundane, regular life experience than breakfast? You do it every day. Some fish and some breads. Come have breakfast. It's so unremarkable when you think about it, right? So unremarkable. And it's so relational. And I believe this is what the disciples wanted anyway. This is what they wanted all along. This is what they missed. They missed the day-to-day moments with Jesus. I'm sure the crowds were awesome. I'm sure feeding 10,000 people uh, with Jesus was an incredible experience. But you know what the best part was? Sitting around the fire with Jesus at night, poking fun at each other, eating dinner together, walking from town to town with him, watching him touch the lives of other people in the way that they had already experienced, getting to know what that's like, just living life. Come have breakfast. Come on, sit down, grab a seat. This is the transition that the disciples are making from the physical presence of God to the internal presence of God. Understanding that he was always with them. In every moment, there's no need to sit around in a room together and wait for Jesus to show up. He's there already. And that's true for every day, mundane, routine, regular, unremarkable things in life because he's literally in them now. It's what he's told him in John 14. This is the way it's gonna be for you, for me, for everyone. This is the transition for us as born-again believers. It's a transition of our mindset. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Life, daily life, everyday life. This is the transition that we're learning to make. Yes, Christ is returning. Yes, if we die before that happens, we go and we're with him in heaven. But in the meantime, He's already here. He's already here. And we're with him because he's in me and I am in him and he is in the Father and the Father is in him, which means I am in the Father and the Father is in me and the Holy Spirit is in me. All of that, right? It's a transition to seeing God in the mundane, to seeing God in the everyday, every step of our life. There's no reason for us to be bored and waiting for him. He's already here. That means life right now is lived in the presence of God. Life with God. All of it. Life with God. So when you walk your dog, you're walking with Jesus. When you take out the trash, he's dragging a can with you. When you're doing the dishes, he's drying. Every moment of every day, life with God. 
All of our life is in Christ. So we can stop waiting for the next time for him to show up. We can walk confidently in the fact that he's here right now. Life with Jesus doesn't start when you get to heaven. Maybe because you did enough to get in, right? It's not how it works. Life with Jesus is right now. Every moment of every day. Is that your understanding? Is that your daily experience? Because it's the reality whether you believe it and experience it or not. So why not go ahead and experience it? Why not go ahead and live it? Why not go ahead and expect it? There's a really cool thing that hit me as the worship team comes up. Really cool thing that when you're walking in an understanding that God is never far off and that he is always present with you, he was always present in you, when you walk with that confidence and you walk with that joy, you realize something. For the disciples, what was possible when Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat was just as possible the whole time they sat in that boat and grumbled about not seeing Jesus because he was already there. The miraculous catch was possible all night long because Jesus was present all night long. He was never not there. He's never not with you. The difference is expectation. Do I expect that I have God with me now or do I believe that he's probably not gonna show up but I'm gonna pray real hard and set the conditions right just in case I might convince him? Not every night of fishing is gonna be miraculous. But I can learn to enjoy the expectancy of those moments and enjoy the in-between times and the mundane because I'm doing it with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We often go through life feeling like we're in over our heads. We're without God. But the reality is, in Christ, for the person who's born again, we live every single day with him closer than we even have words to explain. He's not going anywhere. He never has. Every step of every day is with him. And he only ever looks at you and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's my son. That's my daughter. Yeah, I know you screwed up. Come on, it's all right. Yeah, I said that word, sorry. Come on, come on. You're my son, you're my daughter. Let's go. Every day, every walk. And there's no problem with going fishing if you want to fish all night, but don't do it because you're waiting on Jesus to show up. Do it because you get to go fishing with Jesus. I get to go fishing more often. I'm going fishing with Jesus. Go fishing knowing that he's with you. Always, everywhere. As his son, as his daughter. That's what it means for him to be in you and for you to be in him. What's, go on, like read the scripture. Paul says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No height, no depth, no breadth, whatever. No angel, no demon, nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. That's your condition now. Why not go through life expecting that? Because it's the truth. It's the reality that we walk with him. We're gonna sing another song. If you need prayer for anything, 
move, turn around to the person behind you and say, hey, would you pray for me? Um, let's just stand on up to your feet. Let's worship him some more. Let's understand who we are as his beloved. And let's, uh, let's worship some more.